So four weeks ago, we said, welcome to London. I don't know if it was your first week to London then, it may be this week. We said, welcome to London, and we said maybe new students, new job, new life. And we said, London is glorious, exciting, bewildering, and complicated. And if you were new four weeks ago, then maybe you are um, a long way into London life now. And I'm guessing you are not surprised to find out that not everybody here in London understands and welcomes Christians. So I wonder how you're reacting to London. Um, There are different reactions. Some Christians, they hide, um, maybe hide in here with loads of other Christians and lots of church things. Um, Other Christians, they, they get out into the middle of everyday life, but they join in just the same as everyone else, Um, as in I'm a Christian, but I am able to fit around whatever you need me to be. Uh, I'll join in and I'll approve of everything. And we said that the letter to Corinth could have been written yesterday. Um, It's written to a multicultural, multi-religious, complex city, and it's full of real practical advice how to navigate life in our city too. And Paul, he doesn't want us to hide away, but he also doesn't want us to join in with everything. He wants us to be free enough to serve everyone, to be the slave of everyone. That's what it is to live for Jesus. Look at the, um, the very end, the final paragraph at the end of chapter 10. Um, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever your job, your life, your situation, your background, your culture, your family, do it all for the glory of God, which means um, I don't go around causing other people to stumble, uh, whatever their background, whether it's mine or different from mine. In fact, I try and please them in every way it sets, because the, the compass of my life is set not to my own good, but to the good of many, so that they may be saved. Which is the example of Jesus Christ that he set us when he died in order to save us. Free enough to live for the sake of the salvation of other people. And um, tonight we've got a, a whole chapter to cover and really we're setting up question time tonight. So that Slido link, please do um, send questions. Tonight's the one night you're allowed to have your phone out. Okay, no one will think the worst of you will assume you're sending a question. And actually, even in the question time, we're setting up the conversations that we hope we'll have with each other all around this room, discussing real situations. Paul can give us the principles, but actually it is each other we need to work out what this means with your boss your family, your studies, your neighbourhoods. So I've got some principles. Um, The first one, something that shouldn't really need saying, is don't cheat on God. Don't cheat on God. Um, The heading actually has come out of uh, verse 22, where Paul says, are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? It was just the verse before what Ellie read. So the the Corinthian church, they're navigating their city, their multi-religious situation, in a way that makes God jealous. They're cheating. They're cheating on the true and living gods with other gods, gods who are no gods at all. And just to give you the outline of Paul's argument here, when when Phil gets back, 
Um, my guess is Phil will not want to have loads and loads of conversations about his grief, but I'm sure he will want to talk to lots of people about 1 Corinthians 10, because he did hours of work ready to preach to us tonight. So um, I'm sorry he's not here, but please ask him. Here's the outline. Um, the Corinthians are joining in, in the temples of Zeus and Aphrodite and Mars. So Paul, he takes them back to the Old Testament and picks three episodes where the people of Israel did the same thing and kind of says, let's see how it went for them, shall we? And if you look at verse 11, here is the Christian conviction about the Old Testament. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us. And they're very, very helpful warnings, as it turned out. The Corinthians, they thought they were the best church in the world, the most spiritual, the most gifted, the most privileged. So in verses 1 to 5, what Paul does is he compares their privileges to the privileges of Old Testament Israel in Exodus. So, um, Corinthians, do you think you have good leaders? They did, they did. Well, those guys, they had Moses, he went. Um, Do you think that you have done all of the religious ceremonies and had all the religious experiences and they really, really thought that in Corinth? Well, those guys, they were led out of Egypt by the very presence of God in a cloud. And that was their baptism, in the cloud and in the sea. They went through an actual sea on their way out from slavery and death to freedom and life. Now, we had the baptistry out this morning. Um, It's a a nice piece of metal, but they had a sea. And then, Corinth, do you think you're very spiritual? And they did. Well, those guys, they ate miracle food and drink in a desert. There's nothing you can claim that they couldn't match. But when they cheated on God's, Verse 5, their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. And then verses 7 to 10 tell us about their behavior, what it was they did. And it's three episodes, as I said, from that, that journey to the promised land. And they are all occasions when they gave in. Um, the first two, both of the first two combine worship of other gods with sexual misconduct. And um, what's interesting is they go a different way around in each case. Um, With the golden calf, idolatry first, sex later. And then with the Baal of Peor, um, it is sex first. And then why don't you go with your partner and worship his or her gods? And then the third, the third is simply grumbling. God had rescued them. God was bringing them to the promised land, but they were scared and they were miserable. And they gave into grumbling, and not just grumbling, more than that, they gave into, please take us back to Egypt. Can we not have a better God who will take us back to Egypt? It was better there. Um, all of them occasions where they, they gave in to an appetite or a desire. Whereas if you remember chapter 9 when we were there, chapter 9 said the Christian life is all about me enslaving my body actually being in control of my body, getting control of what I want, so that I can live as the slave of other people for their good, for their salvation. So the lesson from the Old Testament is really clear. When they gave in, 
when they cheated on God, they were destroyed. So be warned. And actually, verse 12, the, the more you think this isn't about you, the more you think you are the best Christian in the world or the best church in the world, the more careful you should be. Um, I thought Carfoon's example was really helpful. Um, they, they worked right through in chapter 8. They knew everything. They thought they were fine. They were confident they knew all the right answers. And actually, that was part of what brought them to a very dangerous place. Which brings us to a, a clear but very uncompromising application. So there are simply parts of life in Corinth that they need to say no to. And the same way, there will be parts of life in London that we will need to say no to. Um, All the way through these chapters, the focus has been food. It's been, can I eat the sacrificial temple food? And so Paul moves on to talk about some cases when you can never eat. And that's verses 14 to 22. Um, So they, they know that the statues are not real. They know there is no such person as Zeus. So they have felt free to join in with the worship of Zeus. Why would that matter? It's just a statue. Who cares? And Paul agrees up to a point, verse 18, verse 19, everything that's said about Zeus is a lie. He is nothing at all. But if you worship him, verse 20, verse 21, you are allowing Satan, the great tempter, to lead you to cheat on God. It is the the original demonic strategy. Um, If you're here for Roots, uh, week two this week, um, we're in Genesis 3. Uh, Come and see that from the very beginning. It's it's about abandoning God, cheating on God. And the, the test he gives them is whether your behavior is joining in the worship of these gods. So four times here he talks about participation. In verse 17, it's about sharing. And verse 21, it's you cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. So the times you cannot eat the food is when to eat the food is to join in with worshipping the gods. So um, last week we said we had Kanishka here, visiting preacher with a, a Sri Lankan Buddhist background. And his example that he gave us I thought was really helpful. Um, he actually told me afterwards that he was talking about the anniversary of his father's death. I think it was the 20th anniversary of his father's death. And his mother said, please will you come with us to the temple? Um, and in the temple, join us when we make offerings to gain merit for your father in the afterlife. And um, he, he told the story last week in a very understated way. I wasn't surprised. I know Kanishka. Um, but you can fill in the, the words around the edge, can't you, of how painful that must have been. The sort of, what, what kind of son are you? Did you not love your father? What has becoming a Christian done to, on the 20th anniversary of his death? And these verses, they say that you cannot join in. And so Kanishka, he told us about a way he'd found to honor his parents without joining in. So in his case, what he did, he went to the temple and he stood with them. But when everyone else brought the bowl of food and offered it, he refused and stood there. He's a a Christian now. He can't do that. He's in a a committed relationship with the the true God of all the world. And he's not free to cheat and make God jealous. 
But Kanishka also told us why doing that, that stand with all its pain, why that was actually loving his mother. You see, he wanted his mother to understand you cannot be a Christian and a Buddhist. Christianity isn't something you can just sort of add on to his old religion. Um, he's still a loyal son in his family. He's still culturally um, the same mix of English-born and Australian-raised and Sri Lankan upbringing. But he can't join in with temple worship while saying he worships the Father, the Son, and the Spirit of the Bible. And that is loving, even while painful, because verse 33, the goal is for his mother too to have her sins forgiven and come into a loving relationship with God and be saved for an everlasting life with him. So if, um, if you're here tonight and you are not yet a Christian and you're looking into things, I'm so glad you're here. Please come back next week um, when we'll be laying out more fully what the Christian message is and why you should believe in it. Um, I hope that the Christians you know are the kindest people you know. I hope they would do anything for you. I hope they're generous and forgiving and supportive and kind. But I guess you will have noticed there are things that they will not do with you, things they can't say, things they can't agree with and can't join in with. Um, And that is all about love. It is their love for their Lord God, who they want to be faithful to, and it is also love for you. It's love for you, who they want to live for eternity with them and with God. So um, we may make different decisions about different occasions of ceremonies. I don't know whether you would have gone to the temple as Kanishka did. Um, but the principle is, am I participating? And that's the principle. Let me give you another example. Um, maybe um, one day in life you have a sort of civic government role that takes you to the local mosque. Um, now, I think you can go to the local mosque, and I think that taking your shoes off and dressing respectfully and sitting at the back, that is not participating. That's visiting. Um, but I had a friend who found himself on the main floor, um, on a carpet, and prostrating himself in prayer with everyone else. And he was surprised when everyone, Christian and Muslim, thought that he had joined in. He'd participated. Um, it matters what you do. It matters what you're communicating when you're there. And if we're committed to Jesus, we can't join in. Um, can't do that in the home or in the temple or by the graveside or at work. And with um, what you might call a sort of honest idolatry, there will be an identified object of worship. There'll be a statue and a temple, um, the ancestors or the gods. But actually, all of this works just the same in the hidden idolatries of money or sex or whatever else it is. Um, I don't know if you remember in our first week, we said in Corinth... This was about how you got promoted at work. This was about how you kept your job. This was about how you kept your place in the family. And the the consequences of not joining in were potentially very severe. So I don't know what this would be for you. Is it, we can ask in the questions, um, is it the initiations at university sports? Um, Is it about displaying your money um, when you work somewhere highly paid? Uh, is it about what you will or won't do on the stag weekend um, when your friend gets married? There may be many areas 
where we simply can't join in the same as everybody else. And then I just want us to notice the word uh, that comes in verse 14 about how serious this is. It's the word flee. Verse 14, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. Um, in other words, there are parts of normal life in London that are as dangerous for Christians as the Baal of Peor or the golden calf was for Israel. And uh, the only sensible, verse 15, thing to do is to flee. And um, flee is not something we do much in modern life, I don't think. Um, run for a bus, doesn't quite get it. Um, you know, walk slowly down the stairs when the fire alarm goes off, that doesn't really match. Um, so um, let me tell you, this summer I was cutting some nettles in a field. That's what I was doing. <coughs> and um, it was a hot day. And so there were some insects around. That's okay. Buzzing around my face. That's okay. One of them was a wasp. No drama. Um, I'm not afraid of wasps. Still no drama when I noticed there were three or four wasps. No problem. Not afraid of them. Um, but then, oh, that's a shame. One of them has stung me. Uh, ow. That's a shame. And then, um, you know, just carrying on cutting the nettles, even when it became clear that instead of just three or four wasps, there were now, you know, a lot, and there were at least two or three inside my clothes, um, and they're beginning to sting me more and more often, and they're all around my face. And, you know, my brain was a little bit slow processing this. But then I, oh, um, apparently there are wasps' nests in the ground. Did you know that? Get wasps, okay, someone knew that. Um, and they don't like it when you hit them. Um, that's what was going on. Um, now, once I'd worked that out, I fled. Um, I dropped everything. Um, I ran as fast as I could. The shirt came off. I ran and I ran. And it took quite a long time to get to where Claire was. And when I got to her, the only question was, are there still any wasps? And she said, yes. So then we both ran. And we ran a lot further. And I won't tell you everything. Um, but um, wasps' nests contain six to 800 wasps. Each wasp can sting you multiple times. Flee. Um, That's what fleeing looks like. Um, Verse 12 says, be careful if you think you're indestructible. I'm really clear now on a really important bit of biology. My skin is not wasp-proof. You are not idolatry-proof. So flee. So there are times when you can never join in and you just need to stay well away. But overall, these chapters... um, actually say there are lots of times when you can eat. And um, that's our third point. The cases when you can sometimes eat. Um, now, it would be so much easier, wouldn't it, if, um, if that wasn't the answer. You know, if monks and nuns were right and the answer was hide from the world, uh, lock the door, lock yourself in with a load of Christians, never go out again. Don't is a very appealing religious answer to the questions of life. There are all kinds of people who want the clarity and the certainty and the superiority of don't. But for Paul, there are all sorts of times when you can and when the answer is do. Um, There's one in verse 25. So in their world, almost every piece of meat on sale in the supermarket had been through the temple and had been offered to a god, but that doesn't stop you buying it later and eating it. That isn't joining in. That isn't participation. That's cooking. That's all you're doing. 
Um, There's another example in verse 27. When your friend from a different religion invites you for a meal, um, you can go and you can eat. You don't need to ask questions of conscience. It's very, very likely that meat has been through the temple again. But their house is not tainted. The chicken, it's just chicken. You can eat. You can join in. You can be with them. You can eat. That's not joining in the worship of Zeus. It's not participation in the temple. And there's actually an even harder example back in chapter 8. Sorry, just turn back to chapter 8 and verses 9 and 10. Because there Paul says there is the right to eat even in the temple of the idol. Um, Which sounds confusing, doesn't it? Because in chapter 10, um, idols are bad and we think of temples as single function buildings. But actually archaeology tells us they were as multifunction as All Souls is. So they had a space for temple worship and then they had other rooms, maybe downstairs. Do you know downstairs every week before we arrive, the students eat pizza? Do you know that? Did it actually arrive tonight? Did it? Okay. So um, while we're all sitting here feeling hungry, they're sitting there feeling well fed. Um, it was a bit like that. Um, the, the meat has been offered upstairs. You can't join in upstairs. But actually, if your friend invites you to a birthday party in the dining room downstairs, you can, in many circumstances, go and eat. So there are times when you can never eat, and there are times when you can eat. And I don't know if you can see, I've put the word sometimes in there, which is to reflect the way that Paul is the slave of everybody, and so he is always willing to give up his rights and put down his knife and fork if it will do someone some good. And uh, I once saw this laid out as a sort of decision flowchart, so I've done my own. In fact, Pelle has helped me um, make one, which might just be a sort of framework for us talking about these questions afterwards. Some of you may hate this because it's all logical, but um, we'll see how we go. So... um, is it participation? That's the first question from tonight. Is it particip- Am I joining in with worship? Um, or would it be sinful to join in? If so, don't do it. Flee. Very straightforward. Don't go near it. But that leaves a, a whole load of life in Corinth free for Christians to join in with. So um, your business is making leather stuff. Here comes the invitation to the Leather Workers Guild meeting. It's going to be dinner in the temple. You can renew your membership and secure the business deal. Okay, I can go. But let's just think. Chapter 8's question, would it destroy the conscience of those with a weak conscience? And we said on week one, that's not just um, strict people. It's not people with Paul's Jewish background who are horrified about temples. That needs to be someone who has a past background in worship of the pagan gods and has escaped from it, but might be led back in if they see you going through that door. So again, Carfoon's example was really helpful. Carfoon's cousin sees Carfoon as the older Christian joining in in the temple. In her cousin's family, those ceremonies really meant it. If she'd gone along with, okay, I'll follow Carfoon, I'll copy Carfoon, there's the danger that she would have been actually offering things to the ancestors in her mind, in her heart, in her conscience. And so actually, Carfoon's freedom would have done harm to her. Um, So if it would, be prepared to do without. But there's one more question we haven't seen yet in verse 28. So um, you can go and eat. 
without asking questions. Um, you're in the home, in this case, in verse 28, you're tucking into the chicken and it's very, very tasty and you're enjoying it. And then your host um, explains to you what your presence means to her. Verse 28, but if someone says, this has been offered in sacrifice. Now, I think that means a lot more there than just a sort of comment about traceable farming supplies. Because again, nearly all the meat had been offered in sacrifice. What the friend means, she means something like, I'm so glad that you are eating chicken with us. See, I thought you were one of those narrow Christians who only believe in one God. But this meat, this meat is sacrificial meat. And you clearly don't mind worshipping our God too. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad we can live side by side and worship together. Do you see? By what she has said, at that point in her understanding, you might as well be in the temple, bowing down and worshipping the statue. That's what it means for her. So for her sake, um, you push away the meat and you stop eating. Okay, so I don't know if that helps you or not. Um, there's a sort of decision tree. Um, lots of freedom, but also lots of other people to think about as we try and serve them. Um, I'm going to give one um, short-worked example, um, and then we'll have a look and see what's on the Slido. We'll sing one song, then we'll go to the Slido, and we'll see uh, what we can talk about together. So worked example. You may not agree with all the decisions made in this, but it's a real example, and I hope it illustrates the process. So years ago, I worked for a, a Christian alcohol rehab, and we had some clients, and those clients, they wanted to access yoga and acupuncture. Now, um, both of those things, those practices, they have religious versions and also secular versions. So um, there are um, doctors who operate acupuncture, and it is just sticking pins into people to deliver a medical benefit. And I think in the same way there are, you know, stretchy people who bend and they twist on mats, um, and it's just because they make them feel great. Um, but there are also people who do those things because they have a fully developed and ancient theology, uh, all about spiritual energy and spiritual practice and what it means to be a human being. So what we did, we went to the therapists, the various different therapists, and we asked them what they believed. When you do yoga, when you do acupuncture, what do you think is going on? And um, I think they thought we were a bit weird for asking them, but actually that was an opportunity. We are Christians. Um, we only want to recommend our clients to things that are consistent with our Christian beliefs. It was an opportunity to explain. Uh, we don't just think it doesn't matter what you do. And then the ones who said it was entirely secular for them, um, just pins and stretching, we said, fine, uh, we will um, recommend you to our clients, make it possible for our clients to visit you. But having made that decision, we did not invite them into the church building to operate there. And uh, that wasn't because we thought what they were doing was wrong. It was because of what that might communicate to other people. Oh, it's the church that does yoga. Interesting. Probably they believe that Eastern religions are all, you know, that would be the kind of thing. It might lead someone back into a wrong spiritual way of looking at the world. Okay, I'm going to um, close up there. Just look at verse 11. Sorry, verse 1 of chapter 11 as we end. All of this that we've been talking about 
it is about how to imitate Jesus. Jesus was the, the freest man who ever lived. And he laid down his life, laid down his freedoms, so that we could live. And he is then calling us to be free. Um, not free to make God jealous, but free of my body and what it wants, so that I can slave, serve everybody else. Whatever will do them good, whatever will get someone to Jesus, which is just how Jesus treated us on the cross. Um, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and then uh, Ellie's going to come up and lead us through the questions later on. Dear Father, we thank you for that love of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he gave up all, everything for us. And we ask, our Father, you would help us in turn to give ourselves up for him and for one another. We ask in his name. Amen.